Could I ask you to please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans, um, book of Romans chapter 8. We're going to be reading together Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through to uh, 17 this morning. So let's uh, read together God's word, Romans chapter 8 uh, from verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace." For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, The Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Just so far uh, in God's word this morning. Now, in the last two weeks, we've been considering in John chapter 15 what it means to abide in Christ. Uh, And specifically, we've been focusing on, on many of the wonderful blessings which are ours individually and corporately as the church if we remain firmly interconnected with Jesus. But the Bible is also very realistic about us. The Bible is very realistic about the world that we live in, and we all know that the reason why we don't fully experience and enjoy all the things that we've been considering over the last two weeks, things like abundant fruitfulness, uh, answer to prayer, assurance of salvation, a deep experience of God's love, abounding joy, and real meaningful friendships. The reason we don't enjoy these things is quite simply because of sin. Sin is like a weed which remains 
firmly planted in the garden of our new lives in Christ. And it seems to sow many new baby weeds all the time, which grow and slowly but surely choke the life out of many of the blessings and the fruit that we should be enjoying in Christ. And so our aim for today, both this morning and this evening, uh, is to focus on this subject of killing sin dead, so that we might be able to know personally and as a church the incredible blessings of truly abiding in Christ. Have you ever had that experience where you've come across a, a cockroach or some other nasty critter in your house? And you take off your shoe or you pick up a magazine and you give it a solid whack. You are sure that it's dead. It's been dealt a terminal blow. And so you carry on with what you were doing and you plan to come back later with the dustpan to sweep it up and dispose of it. Only to find that when you come back later, the cockroach is gone. It was not as dead as you thought and it's moved on to live another day, and perhaps you even start to think about its plot for revenge. <laughs> well, there's something about that which reminds me of the nature of sin in my life. Uh, as a Christian, the ongoing struggle with the, with the cockroach of sin, just when you think you've given it that final death blow, it's not too long before you realize that the sin that you thought was dead is still very much alive. Uh, it's not even lying with its, on its back with its legs in the air. No, it's, it's gone off to go and find some other friends to come and wage war against you. The question is, does this bother you? Do you even think about it? Why, if you are a Christian, do you struggle so much to get rid of the sin in your life? Why is it so hard to get rid of sin? Perhaps for you it's just one or two particular sins that, that you just keep falling into again and again and again. You've, you've tried to stop. You've tried to get rid of that thing from your life, but it just keeps coming back. Perhaps your experience is slightly different. Maybe you don't struggle with one or two recurring habitual sins, but perhaps as soon as you seem to succeed in putting one sin to death in one area of your life, suddenly you find that you are now falling and sinning in a totally different area. Now, the way Christians deal with sin in our lives is a topic which the Bible fortunately has much to say about. It's also a topic which I think many people do not understand as we ought, and so it causes much confusion in the life of a believer. Various schools of, of unbiblical or unbalanced teaching result in many Christians in one of two extremes with regards to this. On the one side, you have those who believe that we once saved, always saved. And as a result of that, they live their Christian lives without any real concern for sin. They live life with a kind of carefree attitude towards sin, falling often into sin and yet not worrying about it too much carrying on like the rest of many other non-Christians in the world, simply living for themselves, perhaps indulging in things that are clearly unwise, unhealthy, unbiblical, and often just plainly sinful. And for these Christians, there's this severe disconnect between salvation and holiness. 
a disconnect with what the Bible teaches about putting to death the deeds of the flesh. This group will usually emphasize that we are no longer under law. We're under grace. They'll quote verses like we've just read, Romans 8 verse 2. The law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So they don't worry about obedience or sanctification or holiness. No, Jesus' love and grace is all that matters. That's the one group. Then on the other extreme uh, is a group that focuses on all the passages and the warnings in Scripture to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. They see all the, the righteous requirements of God's law, His perfect standard. They, they meditate on verses like, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And they become obsessed with rules and regulations, lists of do's and don'ts. And this often leads to a very bitter, critical spirit, very judgmental of others, especially those in this category on this side. But over time, people in this group fail to actually measure up themselves. They fail to live up to God's standard, and they become depressed and beaten down and, and, uh, and very cynical about life and about God, wondering if they'll ever be holy enough to see the Lord. So one extreme leads to a passivity towards sin, and the other extreme leads to anxiety over sin. Where do you find yourself this morning? Now, these are extremes that I've just mentioned, but in between is a continuum, and each one of us sits somewhere between this extreme and this extreme. We're somewhere on the spectrum, and we need to examine ourselves in the light of God's Word this morning to see where we sit on this line and, and what corrective action is required in our own hearts. But let me just say at the outset that one thing is in common with everyone on the spectrum, and that is that we all continue to sin. We all fall regularly. Now, one group is not too worried about it, leading to spiritual passivity. The other group is overly concerned by it, leading to spiritual anxiety. What I want us to look at today is what the Bible says about our attitude to sin, how we should um, how we should understand it in our lives, how we should respond to temptation, and then how we should deal with sin in our lives as Christians. And the verse that I want to focus on this morning is Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. And so that is the text that, that is really going to be the center of our discussion this morning. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the subject of today's message has, over the course of history, been called the mortification of sin. Killing sin dead. And at face value, this verse seems to be one of those verses which the one group that we've been speaking about ignores, uh, and the other group exaggerates. The passive group tends to ignore this verse and many others which, which speak about putting to death the deeds of the body. They ignore that what it says, that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. This group just ignores that. But, but the other group, the other extreme comes to a verse like this and, and they say, you see, 
And it, and it turns into a kind of legalism, a, a legalistic righteousness, even a salvation by works. And I hope to show that both extremes are, are wrong, are unhealthy, unbiblical, and we need to get a clear understanding of what Paul is actually teaching us here this morning. And so we're going to just work our way through this single verse. So keep your Bibles open on verse 13, and we're going to try and unpack the truths contained in it. And in the first place, I want us to see the condition uh, the condition if, the condition if, this verse is a very strong verse. It's a conditional verse, and the condition is expressed both negatively and positively. And the condition is seen in that word if. Negatively, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. Positively, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And this is really nothing new. Uh, this has a very similar ring to it, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord commanded Adam in the Garden of Eden, saying, you may eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it, if you eat of it, you shall surely die. Choice and a consequence. So as we look at God's word, what it lays before us here in Romans 8, we see right at the outset it's a choice, a choice as to how we are going to live in this world, and that choice will affect our eternal outcome, our eternal destiny. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's both a, a physical death and a spiritual death. But if you put to, deeds, uh, to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's both a, a physical and a spiritual life in eternity. So it's quite simple. The question is, who is this choice being presented to? And so secondly, the person, and that is you. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, who is the you who Paul is addressing? Well, just look back to the previous verses that we read, and we can see who Paul is speaking to, and he is most definitely speaking to Christians. Back at verse 1, we are those who are no longer under condemnation of God, those who are in Christ. Verse 9 says that we have the Spirit of God living within us, and, and we'll be given a glorious resurrection by the power of God that was at work in Jesus Christ. Verse 15 speaks of those who have been adopted into God's family who are heirs with Jesus Christ. The context is 100% clear that Paul is speaking here to born-again believers. Those to whom he spoke back in chapter 6 where he said that we have died with Christ, pictured through our baptism, and we've been raised with Christ to a newness of life. Paul now says to these people, you, you who I've been speaking of, you who've been justified by faith alone in Christ alone, you must put to death the deeds of the body. So this is a very practical and personal application for us this morning. If you and I are here today and we claim to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says you, me, we are personally and individually involved here. We must listen to what he is saying. Now we come to the heart of the verse, the third place, the action. Put to death 
the deeds of the body. Now, what is it that God is requiring of us? This is the, the action on which the condition is based. If you do what? If you put to death the deeds of the body. Now, what is Paul referring to here? Well, he's made reference throughout this chapter to a concept that in, in the ESV is the flesh. Uh, if you have the NIV, it translates it as the sinful nature. But I think the ESV is more correct here because although the, the concept of the flesh certainly includes the sinful nature, it's much broader than that. The flesh refers to our will, our desires, our physical bodies, our humanity, and yes, most certainly as well, our sinful nature. So let's go back and, and follow something of Paul's reasoning up to this point. Throughout the preceding verses, Paul is drawing a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And he says that the two are opposed to each other. They're at war with each other. Look back at verse 2 and 3. Paul explains the root distinction here between the spirit and the flesh. He says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So he says that obedience to the law of God should have brought about righteousness and life, but it was unable to do that. Why? Because the law was weakened by the flesh. Because the flesh is subject to another law, the law of sin and death. The, the natural man without God is under the power and under the authority of the law of sin and death. The law of God, although perfect and clear, was not able to save anyone ever. The law of God has no inherent power over the law of sin and death. All it can do is to point out and expose the weakness and the sinfulness of the flesh. And so verse 3 tells us that God did what the law could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus comes into the world. He takes on the likeness of sinful flesh, himself not having a sinful nature because he was born of the Virgin Mary, but he takes on the fullness of our flesh, of our humanity, and he conquers the law of sin and death in the very place where it reigns, where it has authority, which is in the realm of the flesh, in the very place where you and I daily struggle as sinners, where we are kept under the, the grip of Satan through the law of sin and death, Jesus enters into that space as a human being, perfect identification with man. He enters, as it were, into the very boxing ring of the devil and he defeats and he condemns sin in the flesh. And the result, says Paul, is verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who work, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here's the summary. The law of God lays down for us the righteous requirements for eternal life. If you want to inherit eternal life, you must meet the righteous requirements of God's law perfectly. But the same verse tells us that the flesh is weak, the flesh is sinful, 
The flesh is obedient to another master. It's the law of sin and death. And so God's law, although perfect, has no power to save mankind. None whatsoever. So Jesus comes into the world in the likeness of our fallen and weak flesh, and he perfectly meets the requirements of the law of God, thereby destroying the power which sin has, which is death. So that those then who are in Christ, who are united to Christ, who abide in Christ, who trust in him for salvation, we are no longer under the condemnation of the law, but we are set free to be able to walk in the newness of the Spirit. Now, just in case we didn't quite follow his logic in the first four verses, Paul explains it again for us in verses five to eight. So let's read on. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot Please, God. So I hope you can see that living according to the flesh and living according to the Spirit are mutually exclusive, says Paul. The two domains are at war with each other. The Spirit of the flesh is hostile to God. The will of man, the desires of our hearts, the the deeds of the natural man do not submit to the law of God, period. Actually, Paul says, It cannot even if it wanted to, because the flesh is spiritually dead, and so it cannot please God. So the alarm bells should be ringing at this point for any person here today who claims to be a Christian, and yet you are living according to the flesh. You are living according to the desires of the sinful nature, Paul says this cannot be. It cannot be. Look at what he says in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He's speaking to Christians, to born-again believers. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So he brings it back very personally to us this morning. If you are a Christian, you are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. And, and this is, by the way, just on an aside, why we differ with many of our charismatic friends who insist that you, you need to receive some kind of post-conversion second blessing, some kind of baptism of the Holy Spirit after your conversion. No, says Paul. Every single person who is a Christian has the Spirit of God dwelling within him. When you were born again, when you repented and you professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. Paul actually goes as far as to say, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to him. So it's an either or. You are either in the flesh 
or you are in the Spirit. The, the concept of a carnal Christian, someone who's been born again but then lives like an unbeliever, is totally foreign in Scripture. And if you are in the flesh, he says you live according to the flesh, which leads to death. It's a one-directional path. But if you are in the Spirit, then you live according to the Spirit, which brings life. Now, I've belabored this point this morning because it's vital to understand what Paul means then when he says that we must put to death the deeds of the body. What he means is that the deeds of the body, those, those thoughts, those actions, those words which come out of your mouth, they come from the, the sinful nature, the flesh. He says they must be put to death. Why? Because they are in conflict with they are contrary to the Holy Spirit who's made you alive and lives within you. But you may ask me at this point, Tintin, why then? Why does the Christian, why do I struggle with sin? Why do I struggle with temptation? Why do I struggle with the, the deeds of, of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, if I'm now this new creature in Christ? I, if I have the Holy Spirit living within me, if I've died with Christ to my old sinful nature and I've been raised with Christ to newness in life, why do I still struggle with sin? Perhaps the devil has even used this on you. Oh, you know, the fact that you're tempted the fact that you did this or that, the fact that you even desire to do this or that sinful thing shows, it proves that you really can't be a Christian. You think you're saved, but you're not. You're just like everyone else, so stop the pretense. Just give up and follow your heart. Why does the Christian still struggle with sin? Well, the answer is found in verse 10. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now here we see something very important in Scripture. It's what has been called by theologians the already but not yet of our salvation. As Christians, you and I are already filled with the Spirit. We already have Jesus Christ living in us. We are already no longer under condemnation we are already members of God's family. We, we cannot be more justified than we already are today. But we do not yet have our new glorified bodies. The devil and his demons have not yet been cast into the lake of burning sulfur. Death has already been defeated, but is not yet destroyed. This is Paul's argument here. We who are in Christ, we are already, we already have the Spirit of God living within us. Our salvation is already secured, but our bodies have not yet been redeemed. So glad Matt read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 to 58. It speaks about these mortal bodies that need to be given new immortality when Jesus returns. The body is dead, says Paul, because the wages of sin is death, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So Paul has previously been explaining that before Christ, before you become a Christian, we live in these sinful bodies in accordance with the spirit of these sinful bodies, the flesh, our sinful natures, our sinful desires, and so we are subject to the law of sin and death. 
But when we become a Christian, we now receive the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God within us. We now live according to a new law. It's the law of the Spirit of life. It sets us free in Christ Jesus. But our bodies are still subject to the effects of the fall, the curse of sin. Although when Jesus comes, these bodies of sin will, will be given new glorified bodies for all eternity, we'll be resurrected like Jesus. Until then, we are living between the already and the not yet. Paul says this is the daily tension of the Christian life. The already saved but not yet perfected struggle with temptation and sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. Sin no longer controls us, but it remains like a stubborn cockroach or like a, a cancer that just won't go away, that will not die. Paul says, if you want to inherit eternal life, you need to wage war against the flesh. You need to kill sin dead. You need to whack it, doom it, flush it down the toilet, make sure it's gone. Look at verse 12. The ESV says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh. In other words, we are debtors not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. I love the way the, the NIV puts it. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. Yes, your and my salvation is free. We are no longer under condemnation. If you and I were to die today and we are in Christ and the Spirit of God dwells within us, we will live. It's done. It's accomplished. But we have an obligation. This gift of salvation is free, but it places us into the debt of Christ, a debt that we could never, ever repay. In actual fact, we owe Him our very lives and all of our lives. That is our spiritual act of worship. We are no longer slaves of the devil. We've been set free from his tyranny. We are now slaves of Jesus Christ who bought us with his own blood. In other words, we, we, we become debtors to the grace of God in the gospel. We, we have an obligation not to live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Can I ask you this morning, are you living as a debtor to the grace of God in your lives? Are you living with an obligation to the grace of God in your life to live a holy and pleasing life to God? Does that even come into your thinking, especially when you are tempted to sin or when you are considering to sin? Well, this brings us back to verse 13 where we started. We've seen the condition, a condition which places that responsibility on us personally if you Put to death the deeds of the body, what then? Well, fourthly, we see the consequence is life. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if you live according to the spirit, if you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The consequence of our choice is clearly set out before us in verse 13. Eternal life is in the balance. The way we live in this life affects our eternal destiny. What Paul is driving home here today is so clear. Your attitude to sin will affect your eternal destiny. There's no getting around the simple implication and warning of this verse. 
You are under an obligation. You are debtors to Christ. How can you continue to live according to the flesh? You who have been set free from its power and dominion and consequence. If you continue to live according to the flesh, Paul says, well, then actually you do not have the spirit within you. And so you will die and you will not inherit the eternal life. Now, if I was to stop at this point, you would be left with an irreconcilable tension which would lead you to one of the two extremes that we mentioned at the beginning of the service. Either you will place too much emphasis on Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, once saved, always saved, therefore it doesn't matter how I live. Stop talking about sin. Or you'll place too much emphasis on putting to death the deeds of the body. And that will lead you to anxiety, legalistic anxiety, a, a lack of assurance, and possibly even to a, a kind of place where your own human pride kicks in and says, you know what, I'm doing this by myself. So what is verse 13 saying? Can you lose your salvation? Well, if verse 1 is true, you can't. My salvation is secure in Christ. But if verse 13 is true, then you can I think the key lies in the final point, and if you've been following me, you hopefully noticed so far that I've skipped over one key part of verse 13, and that is the means, the means, by the Spirit. Here we see the age-old debate between eternal security and man's responsibility. Let me ask you this, is your salvation, if you're a Christian here this morning, is your salvation eternally secure? Absolutely. I believe that with all my heart. Second question, is it your responsibility to put to death the deeds of the body? Absolutely. I believe that with all my heart. Both eternal security and man's responsibility, verse 1 and verse 13, are taught clearly in this section. And verse 13 brings this together in terms of how. How do we reconcile these two things? If you live according to to the flesh you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Praise God for those three words, by the Spirit. You see, if it was up to me alone to put to death the deeds in my body, I will fail, I will fail continuously, which means I'm living according to the flesh and I will die. But Paul is not asking us to take on this responsibility in our own strength. He makes it very clear that the means, the power, the ability which I have to put death to sin, which reigns in my body to kill it dead, is by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of Christ within me. I must do it. I must get rid of sin in my life. If I don't, I will die. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's true. But the means, the power, the ability to get rid of sin, to put it to death, is given to me by God the Holy Spirit. We know two absolute biblical truths from this passage. Once saved, always saved. I believe that. Put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. I believe that. Both of these are true. I must not overemphasize one or the other. The biblical balance is not to kind of water down either. 
No, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is the means to the end. Is your eternal salvation secure? Absolutely. How are you going to get there? By the means of the Holy Spirit who is at work in your life, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So isn't it wonderful that Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So as I conclude, where does this leave you this morning with regards to your attitude to sin in your life? Do you have a biblical balance? Do you see sin for what it really is? Do you see your sin, the ongoing sin in your life, as a ghastly, destructive, leftover remnant of your former life in which you once lived according to the flesh, in hostility to God, something which God hates and which God must punish, so much so that it resulted in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in your place to take the wrath of God for your sin upon his son on the cross. Do you see your sin like that? Do you see it as something which must be eradicated? It must be put to death. It no longer has any place in my life. You see, either sin must be put to death or you will be put to death. But do you, however, at the same time see that your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ? He has taken the condemnation for you. He has paid the price. He has set you free and given you his spirit to transform you every day into his likeness. As you by the spirit put to death those remaining cockroaches which remain of your former life. You must put to death the deeds of the flesh. Your eternal destiny depends upon it. But you cannot do it alone. It can only be done through the indwelling, enabling, empowering work of the Holy Spirit as you as the branch remain in the vine, interconnected to Jesus Christ. Do you want the evidence today that you truly are a son or a daughter of God? Do you want to be sure today that you are truly a Christian? Don't look to your sinner's prayer from 10 years ago. Don't find the decision for Christ card that you've hidden somewhere in your Bible. Here's the test. Ask yourself, what is my attitude towards my sin today? simple. Am I putting sin to death by the power of the Holy Spirit today? Do I truly hate my sin and does it bother me that I still fall? If so, that is the evidence that you have the Spirit of God at work within you. But maybe you're asking the next question, Clinton, how? How do I practically engage in this process of the mortification of sin? Where do I start to put sin to death in my life? I'm so glad you asked that question. But you're going to have to come back tonight 
uh, to get the second part of this message as Shane takes us through Psalm 119, where we are going to consider together the primary tool which God has given to you and to me to put sin to death in our lives. And I pray that God would give us a, a fresh understanding this morning of His grace, maybe a fresh understanding of the, the terribleness of our sin, that like David, we would pray and say, Lord, search me and try me and reveal if there is anything impure in me. Cause me to walk in your ways in the life everlasting. So may we go out from here this morning as debtors to the grace of God to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this reminder this morning. We've considered this multiple times over the last month or two of your sending of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into our world because the law was powerless to save us. We were powerless to save ourselves. And so we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came to live, as we've just sung, the, the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve to die, Jesus in our place. And I pray for those this morning here, Lord, who do not yet know you, who you've brought into the service this morning, who currently still stand in their own self-righteousness, which they do not yet realize is like filthy rags in your sight. Lord, we pray that you would shine into their hearts and reveal to them their desperate need for Jesus as Lord and Savior. And for those of us who are born again, who desire to serve you and, and live for you, holy lives, pure lives, lives that bring glory and honor to your name, we pray that by your Holy Spirit within us, you will help each one of us individually and us corporately as a church to become more and more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ to the exaltation and praise of your name for all eternity. Amen.